0: Have you ever felt like somebody's watching you? Someone likely is. If that doesn't make you feel good, nothing will. Someone's likely watching because, as I have mentioned in a sermon recently, cameras are everywhere. Cameras are a common tool in catching illegal crime and screening for terrorist activity. In May of 2008, this is like 11 years ago, so like who knows what's going on now, but even in May of 2008, the New York Times newspaper reported about a new plan by advertising companies to install cameras on billboards to get a better feel for who their target audience is and how they respond to various ads. The billboard technology analyzes facial structure to determine a viewer's gender, age, time spent viewing, and other details. How creepy is that? Now, I'm curious, like, I wanna know what they analyze my age to be, because I might be offended by what they think I am. I don't know. Uh, but this is crazy, this is going on 11 years ago. Everyone today from the police to military to the corporate world uses not only cameras, but they also launch satellites into space that have lenses that can read the words on a golf ball sitting in your front yard. That's pretty crazy. Somebody's watching you when you drive. In fact, if you go to Denver, uh, if you're not careful, you might get a ticket in the mail letting you know that someone was watching you drive illegally. Somebody's watching you when you shop somebody's watching you when you buy a soda from a vending machine and right now online somebody's watching me preach somebody's watching you uh, when you're screaming for your life on the roller coaster and making that crazy face and we often forget that someone may be watching us until we get to the end right we see our face on there we're like i didn't make that face you know all kinds of crazy stuff going on but we did someone's watching someone took a picture we're often aware Uh, of when we were on camera and sometimes it makes us self-conscious, right? How many of you have ever been to a sporting event and you see the Jumbotron and during the downtime commercial or whatever uh, You'll you'll see that uh, they have a a dance-off competition They put on some music and kids start dancing and then they put them up on the screen And what happens often when someone realizes that they're on the screen previously they've been dancing carefree They're happy enjoying the music, but when they see themselves often they stop, right? They, they know that they're being seen, they get shy, they nervous, they stop dancing. You know, what do you do when you're driving and you're just singing to the song and you're really getting into it and then you look over and you notice that the car next to you is really enjoying you getting into the music, right? You probably stop, you know? You probably are like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, that was nothing happening here. Or what happens when you're even driving maybe a little too fast or maybe not even a little too fast but all of a sudden you see the radar speed limit thing and it shows you how fast you're going. Oftentimes, I slow down even when I'm not going too fast, just because I'm like, ah, somebody's watching, right? You slow down, drive like you should. Someone that's going through an airport security knows usually that there's things that they shouldn't do and things that they shouldn't say because they're being watched, and it's a a different kind of place. Often, when we realize that we're being seen or watched by someone, we act like we're supposed to. We don't want someone to catch us burping in public or picking our nose, or acting carefree, acting goofy. But what about people that are watching us when we aren't even aware that they're watching us? What about people that watch us from a distance at work? What about people that know who you are before you realize who they are? Does that ever happen to you? You go to introduce yourself? Oh, I'm Morgan. Oh, I know exactly who you are. What?
1: <laughs>
0: That's scary, right? What about the things that our kids know about us because we can't put on a show 100% of the time? They know exactly who we are. I can't tell you over the course of the last year and a half that we've lived in Laramie, how many times I've introduced myself to a person that I didn't know from Adam. And the person has told me, oh, I know who you are. And I follow you on Facebook or I know that you're the pastor of that church. And it's kind of scary, to be honest, because it's sobering every time it happens. I realize that people are watching. People know what's going on in my life. They're observing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a good thing to remember. Well, in Jesus' time, there were a few less cameras and not quite as many satellites that have been launched that we know of. But everyone noticed what Jesus did everywhere he went. He was always being watched. There were crowds. That followed him. He had to get in a boat sometimes to go away, and yet still his disciples were with him. Once on his way through Jericho, Jesus, Jesus noticed someone watching him from a tree. He's like, what are you doing up there? Get down here. Jesus would often teach in a house, and there would be people that would get on the roof to see and to hear, or sometimes to, to cave a hole in the roof and lower sick, down, pe- pe- sick people down to him so that he could heal them. People were always watching from, from unexpected places. Another time, a man came to Jesus in the middle of the night, a Pharisee that was a part of the Jewish council. These weren't typically Jesus' friends, but he told him, you know what, I've been watching you. I know that you're sent from God. I'm just not sure how a person that's old can be born again. People were watching Jesus, much like they're watching us, even when we're unaware. Over the last three weeks, we've looked at the difference that Jesus makes, and we've primarily focused on the difference that he makes to his followers. It's, it's one thing, you know, we, we've discovered that that the hopeless people like Lazarus, the dead man, Jesus can bring life and hope to their situation. To the guilty like Barabbas, Jesus brings the gift of forgiveness, and he traded places to pay the penalty of our sin. To the hurting like his mother Mary on the day that she watched her son be tortured and crucified, and to those that are going through their darkest days, Jesus conquered death. He, he, he conquered the grave and, and he went through the worst that hell has to offer so that he could be the resurrection and the life to us regardless of what we're going through. There's healing and victory through Jesus has overcome the world. And it's one thing for Jesus to make a difference in the lives of his followers. It's one thing for, for Jesus to make a difference in the life of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. The Bible tells us that Jesus loved them and they believed in him. For Jesus to make a difference in the life of his mother, that's kind of expected because there's belief, there's a relationship that's there. But what difference does Jesus make to other people? Those that aren't his followers, to those that maybe are just watching from a distance, the watching world. Not only to followers, I'm talking about those who didn't believe and were just casual observers. What difference did Jesus make in the life of someone saved from a completely different way of life? That's what we're gonna look at today in the final part of this sermon series. What difference does Jesus make to a watching world? And we'll do this by looking at the difference he made in someone that was so far off the path and so far from a different life than all of his followers. Couldn't be anyone more different than Mary the mother of Jesus than the kind of person that we're gonna look at today. We're gonna look at the difference that Jesus made to the Roman centurion. And today we're gonna read Some of the accounts, little portions from all four of the Gospels. So we're going to jump around a lot. I apologize. It's on the screen. Feel free to to take notes on the back of your worship guide. You can write these down. Look them up at home later. You can try to follow along, but we are going to jump around a little bit. Uh, But we're going to start in John 18, so I'll give you a chance to get there if you want to. We'll be there for a little bit. While you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about Roman centurions. Much like the United States is a global power in our world today, 2,000 years ago, that title went to the Romans. Rome ruled the known world. They had the greatest, the most disciplined, highly structured and organized army on planet Earth. And centurions were the backbone of that army. You could tell centurions who they were because they had the helmets that had the big red plumes. How many of you have seen that? You know what I'm talking about. They had the big, they were made from usually from horse hair, and it would be a big red plume that would go on top of that helmet. That would signify that this was a centurion. And a centurion was the equivalent of a regimental sergeant major. He would have commanded up to 100 men in his company, which is where the name centurion came from, because 100. Centurions were described by historians. That's a mouthful, centurions were described by historians. Try to say that 10 times. They were described by historians as, as soldiers that would carry out specialized duties. And when they were hard pressed, They were trained to hold their ground, even if it meant dying at their post, and they were willing to do it, but they were capable of command. They were soldiers that were steady in combat and reliable. They handled difficult situations with ease. They would often be called in to quiet the riots. They were the soldiers that would carry out the torture and the executions because they were, they were okay with killing. They were trained in the art of the kill. One historian notes that this was likely the single most important, one of the single most important positions of authority in the Roman world was the centurion. Without them, everything would have come apart. As a Roman, the centurion likely would not have cared much for the Jews or for the rabbi Jesus that had created quite the commotion on more than one occasion. But there's glimpses that we have on record of what I believe made an impression in Roman centurions. And so we're going to start with when Jesus was questioned by Pilate in John 18, verse 38. And we're going to go all the way to 19, verse 3. It's just a few verses there. Pilate said this. This is important. Pay attention. I find no basis for a charge against him. Pilate said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Verse 39. But it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. We talked about Barabbas a couple weeks ago. He's a scoundrel, a murderer, a thief. John 19, verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. Then the soldiers, likely Roman centurions, they twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail the king of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face thing that stands out to me from these scriptures is that Pilate said there's no basis for a charge against Jesus. Jesus was not declared guilty. He was not crucified because he was found to be guilty. In fact, Pilate said the exact opposite. He washed his hands of the blood. Pilate's wife even had a dream about Jesus and went and told him, this man is innocent. Don't have any part of this. So Pilate washed his hands with the situation. Jesus was not declared guilty. The Roman centurion had to have heard that and known it. He also likely saw how Jesus responded in the face of false accusations and insults. He also likely knew about Barabbas. Possibly had even been one that was called in to bring Barabbas to justice. Taken part likely in that. But now Barabbas, who is guilty, was being freed, and Jesus, who is innocent, is being crucified. We all know about oxymorons. It's a figure of speech that seems to contradict itself, right? And there's lists and lists and lists of things, but here's some of my favorite oxymorons for you today. Artificial uh, grass. Might as well be a plastic bag, right? That's not grass at all. How about boneless ribs? Have you ever thought about that? How do you get boneless ribs? A harmless lie. The Communist Party. I I don't understand that green oranges how could you have green oranges easy labor fresh frozen jumbo shrimp still a shrimp i don't care how jumbo it is here's one for the college students cafeteria food right (laughs) cafeteria and food i don't know um random order slumber party there's you get either slumber or you can party you're rarely going to do both (laughs) small fortune Living dead, same difference, uh, peace force, pretty ugly, head butt, or you could turn around, butt head, it's just <laughs> working vacation, all these are, are oxymorons. I wonder how the Roman centurion felt about what was going on on that day that Jesus stood trial with Pilate when he's hearing things like free Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Innocent convict kill God. The Roman centurion, he was a man under authority, and he was trained not to care about the religion and the politics of these different places and what's going on. But I wonder if he noticed that he was being ordered to crucify an innocent man. Second thing that I wonder if he noticed was when Jesus was crucified on Calvary, when he carried out that sentence. John 19, verse 16 through 18 Says this. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Who's them? The Roman centurions, the soldiers. So they took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, with Jesus in the middle. Luke twenty three, verse thirty six through forty one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. Mark 15 verse 33 says at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And then verse 37 with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. That's a lot going on there. But do you notice the difference between Jesus who is being executed for his crimes and the two criminals that were there. If the centurion didn't notice or pay much attention to the fact that he was being ordered to torture and execute an innocent man during this this time of the trial with Pilate, he surely noticed that something different was going on here, which is why he responded the way he did. Jesus was different than criminals. A man who had likely killed many men had never had an experience like this one before. Have you ever had a routine that you do over a parking lot, ready to go? Where did I park my car? This should be easy. You know, Laramie is not that big. There's not that many big parking lots. Where in the world is my car? You forget where it is. Driving to work, what's that noise? Something's dragging the ground as I'm driving. This should be routine. I just get in my car and plan to go. You're driving, you know, somewhere in all the traffic. What's up with all this traffic? Our routines are a little different than Roman centurion's routines, because ours don't usually involve killing people. But I wonder if that's something similar like to what I'm describing is what was going on for the Roman centurion that day. Something isn't right. This man isn't like the others. What's the deal with this crucifixion? This isn't the normal criminal. There's something different about Jesus. At Pilate's trial, The Roman centurion likely realized that this man was innocent. There was no basis for a charge, but on the cross, he realized that this was the Son of God. We don't have record of Jesus having a direct interaction with the Roman centurion. The Bible doesn't tell us that they came to his sermon or they ever heard Jesus preach, that they ever were aware of his teachings. They likely knew who he was, but just from watching from a distance... The Roman centurion declared, this surely was the Son of God. Despite the declaration that this was the Son of God, now he's dead. So how much, how much impact could it really have had? Let's look at the third glimpse I want us to look at today. Matthew 27, verse 63 through 66, when, when Jesus' tomb was closed. <coughs> said, on the next day, which followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered together... To Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive, that the deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and seal him away, and say to people, He has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went to the tomb, made it secure, sealing the stone, And setting the guard. It's interesting that these these people couldn't get enough. They had Jesus crucified. They still weren't satisfied. They knew knew deep down inside what was going to happen. But what they did was to ensure that Jesus wasn't falsely declared to be alive. And I think what Jesus was doing behind the scenes is ensuring that there would be witnesses to his resurrection. They set the guard. Imagine being a Roman centurion, being at the, at the trial with Pilate, seeing Jesus being declared innocent but condemned to death, being at the cross, witnessing something different about Jesus. This is not the average criminal. Surely this is the Son of God. And then you're posted as a guard, stationed at his tomb, the tomb is sealed, and Jesus is dead. Matthew 28, 2-7 through seven says this, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and he came and rolled back the stone of the door and sat on it, his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, "Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, "Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead." The centurion had been a witness to Jesus being declared innocent. He had witnessed the death on the cross that was so different from any normal criminal. He witnessed Jesus die and being put in a tomb, the stone rolled in front, and he was posted as a guard to ensure that his followers didn't steal the body and claim he was alive. The only problem was Jesus actually came back to life. Imagine if just at Jesus' death, you were convinced that he was the son of God. What would the resurrection cause you to do? The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't, we don't have record of a Roman centurion making a decision, going on to preach the gospel, any of that. All we know is that there was someone that was watching and that these events had an impact on someone's life. It had to have been a game changer, though. A game changer is a player that steps to the line when everything is on the line and he makes a, a, a play that's, that impacts the outcome of the entire game. A play at a pivotal moment in a game that determines victory or defeat. Over the last few weeks in the sports world, it's been pretty exciting. I'm usually a football fan, but I've been excited about a couple other things recently. Tiger Woods, the game changer, won another Masters when people said he would never win again. It's a pretty pretty epic moment. We watched replays of it, all kinds of stuff. Damian Lillard, if you don't like golf so much, maybe you're more of a basketball fan. Just a few days ago, he nailed points 48, 49, and 50 in buzzer-beater fashion, not only to get a win of a single game, but to clinch the entire series and send the Oklahoma City Thunder home, not only home, but home for the season. It's a pretty incredible moment. 50 points in a game, buzzer-beater, wins it all, goes further in the playoffs. It's a game changer. Millions of people this weekend flocked to movie theaters this weekend because a movie came out. No spoiler alerts, it's okay. I had people in the first service like, we're leaving here to go to the movie, shh, it's okay. But the movie's a game changer if you're into the Marvel Universe, all that stuff that's going on. No matter who your favorite sports icon is or who you think the greatest game changer in all of sports may be, Michael Jordan. (laughs) No matter who your favorite superhero is and how powerful that he can be, What Jesus did after he died is the real game changer. It's the moment that nothing else can ever top because everyone thought it was over, but he was just getting started. He did what no one else could. He served Satan. He defeated death. He gave hell a taste of their own medicine. He won. And somebody, actually a lot of people were watching. Just like people are watching our lives, Jesus made a difference in people's lives. He also made a difference for someone here today, and I want you to hear it from them in their own words if you'll turn your attention to the screen. We've got one more testimony for you.
1: So I started partying. And I started living a lot more freely, um, being on my own for the first time. And and I stopped going to church somewhere in that first year. And that went from about 2016 to mid-2017. And the difference Jesus uh, has made for me in that of life was uh, in the spring of 2017, uh, I got to get to amazing things in my life. He pulled me out of the darkness that I was in. He um, came alive in a way that I didn't think was possible. Part um, of the reason why I did still sort of the church was going to to me growing um, up. Uh, um, but thank God came alive in such a such a real way and I'm not involved with campus ministries, so I was like, I don't know what's I don't know what's going on. I'm requesting for this. The, the change in my life has been absolutely incredible. I've been delivered from a whole bunch of things, and you know, life isn't perfect, and everything's just, just solved, and I have no more troubles. But the, the sort of support that I have for the community, I
0: It's been exciting to see in Ethan's life as he's gone after the things of God, how, how he's allowed God to use him in a powerful way. And there's a lot of us if we're honest, we will say Jesus has made a difference in our lives but it's not very visible to other people. I love what he said, a complete 180. That's what difference Jesus makes in our lives. Maybe there's someone here today and You've been on the outside and you've been watching from a distance. You've been watching the life of your friend that invited you. You've been watching a parent or a family member that you feel like has a good, strong relationship with Christ. You've been watching a service online and trying to figure out what it's all about. My prayer is that while you're watching, while you're watching that person's life, while you're watching that service online, while you're watching what's going on from a distance, that you'll discover the difference that Jesus makes. For those of you that are Christ followers and you've already made that decision, it's important for you to know that there's people that are watching. Even when you don't expect it. Even when you think that no one's watching or no one pays attention. People are watching. People are watching your life. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a spouse or a child. Maybe it's a gas station clerk. They're seeing your life, but I wonder are they seeing the difference that Jesus makes? Your family, the ones that know you better than anybody else, do they see a difference that Jesus has made in your life? They should. It should be a complete 180. All of a sudden, There should be things happening in our life that weren't happening before. New habits that replace old habits, new behaviors, new attitudes. We don't respond the same way that we would normally respond to certain situations, stressful situations. We're all going to have struggles, but what difference has Jesus made in our life in those situations? Over the last three weeks and this morning in the first service, we've had 17 decisions for Christ. Just this month. Isn't that exciting? You can get excited. You can put your hands together and think about Seventeen lives that is impacted. This morning I want to give an opportunity before we close. If you're here today, you're not in a right relationship with Christ, for you to make things right between you and God today. Maybe you're the one that's been watching from a distance. Maybe you came here today, but you really you really had no intention of making things right with Christ or making a decision for him today, I want us to reflect on the same exact things that the Roman centurion reflected on. A man who was a hardened man, a skilled man, whose job was to kill, but he saw some things in Jesus that caused him to come to a place where he could say, you know what, that's the Son of God. And today, I wonder if you're in that place today, God's been tugging on your heart. His desire is that no one would perish, but everyone would have an opportunity for life and a relationship with Him. Today I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer, and I'd love to invite you to pray along with us. It's a simple prayer, just acknowledging your sin, God's forgiveness, and your desire for a relationship with Him. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for loving me. Thank you that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Today I accept Jesus Jesus. as my Lord and Savior. Savior. I believe that when he died on the cross, he paid the price for my sin. sin. And today I confess confess that Jesus Christ Christ is my Lord. Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Every head still bowed, every eye closed, looking around, just respecting The privacy of others, if you prayed that prayer today and made Jesus the Lord of your life, would you just slip your hand up and write back down and say, Today, today I prayed that prayer, I made that decision, I'm making Jesus Lord. Maybe you've prayed it before, but you know when you walked in here today, you weren't in a right relationship with the Lord, or maybe you've never prayed it before, but you said, You know what? I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Is there anyone today? Just slip your hand up and write back down. Awesome. Awesome. My next challenge to you as you leave here today is to live like somebody's watching because somebody is. I'm not talking about cameras and satellites anymore. You may never know who's watching. The Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus had a conversation with the Roman centurion, but he was watching what was unfolding in the life of Christ. There are people in your life that are far from God, but close to you, and they need to discover new life in Christ, and you may be the only Jesus that they ever get to see. Is there enough evidence in your life that people would see a difference that Jesus has made? You don't have to be able to preach the difference that Jesus makes if you can just simply live it. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, would you pray for me that I would just live my life in a way that people would see, before I even open my mouth, that people would just see the difference that Jesus has made in my life. If that's your desire, would you slip your hand up? That's my desire today. Anybody else? Hands all over this room. So God, we make that our prayer today that you would move in our lives in such a way, that it would be a complete 180. God, that there would be new habits in our life, that there would be new reactions and new attitudes. Lord, it doesn't mean that everything's gonna be great all the time, there's gonna be difficult days, but Lord, the difference that you make in our life should be evident on the good days and the bad days days where we know that we're being watched and the days that we have no idea that anyone is paying attention to our lives, but God, you are and others are as well. I pray that we would make a difference on people around us as they see the difference that you've made in our lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have friends that are pastors in Austin. They were here in January, the McLeans. You may remember them, but they say almost at every service, they want to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. So that's my challenge to you as you leave here today. Would you be living proof of a loving God to a watching world? There's a lot of people, they'll never step foot in this building, but you can be Jesus to them. You can be the proof. Imagine the difference that Jesus can make in their lives. Thank you so much for being here today with us.